um, I've been sharing you guys lately about the importance of exercising our faith. It's not enough just to have faith. We have to exercise it, and it will get stronger as we do. Two weeks ago, we looked at how the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith when he told them that if someone sinned against them seven times in the same day, and seven times they came back and said, will you forgive me? He said, you're supposed to forgive him. And I was thinking, like, wow, that would be hard to do. And they said, increase our faith. And then uh, last week, we looked at how um, we told, he told him to exercise their faith by speaking to the fig tree. Remember, he cursed the fig tree that was barren. And it's, uh, in the lesson, I was sharing how um, we need to speak to those barren areas, those fruitless areas of our life, because if the Holy Spirit's living in us, we should naturally bear fruit. We should, as we yield to Him, yield to the Holy Spirit in us, we should naturally bear fruit. But if there's an area in your life you still battle with something, there's struggle, there's an addiction, there's a something, you need to speak to that fig tree. I think I said frig tree once last week. The boys are always the first to tell me before I can even get out of the door, you said frig tree. I'm like, oh, well, sorry, I'm the, I tried. But anyway, speak to the frig tree to get out of the way. Get out of the way, get out of you, and be cast in the sea. And the Bible says it will obey you. All right, so if you are stuck in a certain area, you feel stuck spiritually. One day I was praying, God told me to, which I haven't done this, I apologize, but God told me to ask people what areas of your life you feel like you're growing spiritually, and what areas of your life do you feel stuck. And those areas where you feel stuck are the areas that are barren and fruitless, and those are the areas you need to speak to, to be uprooted, cast into the sea, and the Bible says they will obey you. Amen. How's that for spiritual growth? I never was taught that growing up. Uh, I spoke to some freak trees, but, <laughs> but I didn't know what I was, know what I was doing. You, know, you get frustrated anyway. anyway but, uh, so that's two different times here in the Bible that when God, Jesus was teaching disciples about how to increase their faith, two different times now he told them to speak to a tree. It was the mulberry tree and the fig tree. And uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13:1, let every word be established by two or three witnesses. So I showed you two witnesses, and today I'm going to show you a third one. And we're going to find this story in Matthew 17. Matthew 17. All right, this is the story of the, bo- the father who had an epileptic son that was prayed for multiple times, and that boy didn't receive hope, help at first, healing at first, but he did at the end of the story. So if you want to follow along, it should be on the screen, Matthew 17, starting with verse 14. And when they had come down to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire, often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Notice Jesus' response here. He didn't say, well, bless your heart. Well, bless your heart. He said, Jesus answered, O faithless and perverse generation. How would you like Jesus to say that to you? O faithless and perverse generation means perverted. It's twisted. Something's not right here. He said, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the boy to me. You know why? Because you are falsely representing the father. You are falsely representing the heart of the father. I'm sure he wasn't really as mad at them as he was at the evil one. But he was a little probably upset with the disciples because I taught you better than this. I told you how to do this. So uh, verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why, couldn't, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, 
because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Amen. Guys, this is the word of the Lord. He said, speak to a mulberry tree. Speak to a fig tree. He said, now speak to a mountain, and it will obey you. Now, whether the area of your life is a fig tree, a mulberry tree, or a mountain, you have to speak to it. You have to command it to be uprooted and leave, and it will obey you. I can't speak to it for you. No one else can speak to it for you. It's your spiritual responsibility, and as you do it, you will grow. You will grow. Your faith will grow. So I want to look a little bit deeper into this story. It's a common story, but oftentimes when it's shared, there's some kind of weird spiritual parallel of this and that. I'm just going to talk about what it says, okay? Are you okay with that? We're going to stick with what it says, not kind of symbolize it. I get tired of those sermons sometimes. I don't know if you guys do. Everything's a symbol of something. Sometimes it's quite literal. There was actually a child, okay, who actually had a demon that actually caused him to have seizures and things like that. There was actually a real father that had a real son, his only child, that was in real pain, and he needed help. He was desperate, okay? So in the King James Version, it says that this man's son was a lunatic. And they look up that word in the original language. It means moonstruck, moonstruck. I don't know what that moonstruck is. I mean, he's just crazy stares at the moon, I guess. I don't know. Um, it says, King James says that he was an epileptic. The father was looking for Jesus, and he couldn't find him. But he found disciples. At least they found nine of them. Now just think about this son for a minute, Okay? This son was not suffering some kind of chemical imbalance. Not that that's not a thing. That can happen. He was not suffering from anything. He was suffering from a demon. Okay? Are we okay with that? Thank you, Joe. Are you guys okay with that? Demons are real. Whether we want them to be or not, whether they make you uncomfortable or not, or they make you whatever, they are real. And this demon was making this boy have seizures. It was making him foam at the mouth. It was making him gnash his teeth and become rigid and like stiff as a board and caused him to fall into the fire on multiple occasions, into a fire. So they're having a bonfire over here, cooking supper or something. All of a sudden, he'd walk by, randomly had a seizure, and boom, fall into the fire. He would have had burn marks probably all over his body, this young boy, a boy. Another thing, can, can children be demonized? Yes. Have you been a school teacher? I mean, <laughs> you've been to school? Yeah, 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 they absolutely can be. You know why? Because we're born in sin. We are born in sin. They can be. This kid was, right? He didn't do anything wrong. He was, he, uh, this happened to him at a very young age, the Bible says. So it caused him to fall in the river or a lake or some kind of water, probably tried to drown him on multiple occasions. Um, this this started him, happening to him when he was really young. The Strong's Concordance says from infancy. Very, very young. He's having these seizures. Um, this father and son, this is the kind of life, <coughs> excuse me, for this father and son, this is the kind of life they knew. That was their life. For this father, he probably would have had someone watching this boy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't mention the mother. We don't know if she's alive or dead or they just didn't mention her because of cultural things or whatever. But this father is desperate need for a breakthrough. Even with the constant supervision, this kid has multiple times fallen into the fire. I can't imagine someone I know falling on fire one time. All right? One time. I light a match sometimes for candles. Like, man, that hurt, you know? Or a lighter or something. This kid fell in fire multiple times because a demon was trying to steal, kill, and destroy his life. Okay? So um, 
The father was desperate, and this was his only child. And uh, he, this, was a, this was a very, very severe situation. So uh, this boy was tormented. The father was tormented. And this father, I'm sure his nerves must have just been set on edge, just on high alert, like, where is he? What's he doing right now? What, where, is he okay? Uh, I, I had this happen once in Uganda. I was getting ready to preach, and uh, Pastor Peter came to me and said, come here, I want to show you something. So I walked around the corner, and here's this girl. And uh, she was laying on the ground, stiff, gnashing her teeth, rigid. She was foaming at the mouth, and she had burn marks all over her body. And uh, she said she was in the choir. Remember Dave Mark, John, you remember her? And uh, she, she was wanting, needing deliverance. And so we, we prayed for her for a little bit, then I went on to preach my message. Like, I hadn't seen that before. Now, I've seen it in here when I've read the Bible, but I haven't seen it in real life. It was exactly like this, but this girl was older than this young boy in the story. But um, to make, uh, so this father, he finds nine disciples. The other three were off with Jesus doing something. I'll get to that in a minute. But they find the nine disciples, and one after another, after another, Andrew prays for him, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and whatever. They just go down, start praying for this young boy, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. And the father, the father had some faith. He said, all right, well, let's bring him to the next guy. Let's bring him to the next guy. Now, I'm putting this in my imagination some, adding to this story some. I don't know what happened, needed to you, so this is my version of it, okay? He went to the next one, the next one. He went to all nine of them, and this still wasn't healed. Now, at that moment, you'd have to think, you'd most likely think, well, maybe it's just not God's will to heal my son. Maybe this is, God's going to get glory from this, some kind of religious jargon we've heard. God's going to receive glory from this, this kid being burnt in a fire and drowned and all these things. He received glory, all right, but he received glory when the boy was healed, not when he fell in fire. All right, so to make matters worse for the disciples, uh, the nine disciples that were down there, they're surrounded by a great multitude of people. In, in Mark's version of this story, starting in verse 14, 9, 14, it says, And when he, Jesus, came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. So there, nine of them praying for this boy. The father's probably there. They're, they're surrounded by people. And to their joy, the scribes and Pharisees are there arguing with them. Now, it doesn't say what they're arguing about, but I can kind of I can kind of guess I would think it's about the situation, the description, context that we're talking about, the boy's healing. And so I just had this imaginary conversation in my mind. I just imagine the scribes saying to them, and Pharisees arguing with them, saying, see, it's not God's will to heal. It's not God's will to heal him. Uh, I can see him saying, uh, God made him that way. He was born that way. Or he was born in sin, and that's God's way of punishing him. That's his way of doing it. And guys, you know, the religious system God help me. The religious system, those that don't, they know a formula of God, they know a form of God, but they intimately don't really know the heart of God, are going to buy into this lie. Because that is not Jesus. There's only one. But some people actually have a false Jesus that they're married to, or they've embraced this religious Jesus that he, you know, or whatever. And that is not him. This Jesus hung out in bars. This Jesus went to prostitutes. This Jesus went to the lost, seek and save the lost. He wasn't for impressing the Pharisees, scribes, kings, or priests, or anybody else. He was after the heart. What did God tell him to do, and he did it. That's Jesus. All right? Um, I picture disciples arguing back. It is the will of God. God didn't do this to him. The devil did that to him. It's God's will to heal him. 
And I can just see them with a smirk face like, oh yeah, if it's God's will to heal him, then why is he still like that? You, you prayed for him, you prayed for him, all nine of you prayed for him, why is he not, still not healed? If it's such the will of God, uh, why is he not healed yet? And they probably didn't have an answer. I'm not sure they had an answer that day. Um, and unfortunately, I think many people get their theology more from what they don't see than what they do see. More from what they haven't seen than what they've read. And so they've got to make up this theory and this philosophy, this religion, if you will. And it's not God, is it? Okay? All right. I mean, I know these situations are hard sometimes in our own lives when, when we pray for people and we haven't seen them healed, haven't seen the breakthrough. They are hard, but is it hard to keep lying to them and saying, well, it's just God's will. It's just God's will for you to suffer. It's just God's going to teach you a lesson. God's this and that. When you can't find that in Jesus' in, in Jesus life, you can't find it there. So to me, Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to know what the Father is like, look at Jesus. So logically, this would appear to be the truth, that it's not God's will to heal this boy. Logically, you would seem like that's what's supposed to be. But these guys were determined what they believed by what they saw, not by what God said. If you remember, he said, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. Even in the Old Testament, they had a covenant of healing, a covenant that declared healing. So uh, before we go any further into that story, I want to go before the story right before this one. What was going on? Where was Jesus at this time? Where were the other disciples? We'll look at verse 1 of Matthew 17. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Luke's version adds to that, a high mountain by themselves to pray. Okay? So I did a little study trying to find out, well, what mountain did they climb? Where did they go? How, how big was this mountain? How much of a hike was this? And commentaries differ in it, but they, most of them said he was either Mount Tabor, which is about 2,000 feet, or Mount Hermon, which is 9,232 feet. Either one, it's a pretty good walk if you're starting near ground zero. And uh, they were walking. I was just thinking, imagine going on a hike, you and Jesus and a couple other buddies, and you're hiking up the mountain a mountain with him. And it's probably different times, different terrain, different steepness, different maybe gravel moving under your feet and you're walking, legs burning sometimes, or walking up this high mountain is what it says. They finally arrived at the top, and I just picture them taking this big 360 view of like, wow, look at this. Just like you do at Grandfather Mountain, you get to the top, like, whoa. I mean, you can take the stairs there, the little elevator, but a little easier walk, but you can still look at the view of like, wow, look at the beauty of God's creation while they're standing there with the one who created it. They're standing on this mountain with the very person who spoke the word into existence, the world into existence with his own breath. They're standing there looking like, wow, look at that. Hey, that's Bethlehem over there. Hey, that's, what, that's over there. And just imagine them looking at that. And so they're having this amazing time with Jesus, just alone, refreshing, getting some exercise, enjoying God's creation, and they're up there to pray. And then all of a sudden, something weird happened. They had they seen Jesus in a way they'd never seen him before. All of a sudden, he was transfigured right in front of them. Imagine that was you. Okay, what is happening right now? Is it me or is Jesus just, he looks different right now. His clothes are shining white like snow. Uh, the Bible says his clothes became shiny, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. All of a sudden, his clothes are all white. He's shiny. And then to make matters even more strange, Moses and Elijah just appear, appear out of nowhere. <laughs> Boom. And he's talking to them. You had to be thinking, like, I thought we weren't supposed to talk to the dead. And then Jesus said they weren't dead, right? 
He said, God's not the God of the dead, but the living. Didn't he? He's talking to him. So it's Jesus, Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John on this mountain. Now that would be an encounter you'd want to go tell everybody about, wouldn't it? Like you wouldn't believe what happened today. Oh man. He said, you can't tell anybody until after I'm resurrected. So then uh, they're there. You have Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. And Jesus, one that fulfilled the law and the prophets. Right there together on this mountain. And so they're there just marveling. Peter's like, do you want us to build three huts for you guys? Or what do we do now? Like we have no idea what, the, what are we doing here? And uh, I mean, it'd just be crazy. And all of a sudden, this glory cloud come, comes down, covers the top of the mountain. They can't see anything. What's going on now? What's going to happen now? They have no idea. No grid for this. And uh, uh, next thing they hear, God's voice speak. His audible voice say, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to what he tells you. Just be quiet, Peter. Don't build any huts. Just be quiet. Listen to him. Okay? That's, a, that's an amazing event, right? Who wouldn't want to experience that? Seeing Jesus transfigured, you get to see Moses and Elijah. They probably wonder, oh, I was wondering what they looked like. Look at him. Like, yeah, that's not what I thought at all. Or what age was he? Was they 80? Were they in their 30s? You know, we don't know. But anyway, a cloud surrounded them. They heard the audible voice of God. And now that's what I would call a good day, wouldn't you? Yeah, good day. That was a good day. Meanwhile, while all this glorious stuff is going on, at the, that's a definitely a mountaintop experience, wouldn't you say? At the bottom of the mountain, it wasn't so glorious. The disciples are still there, and they're with this father and with this son, and this father's disappointed. He's heartbroken because he thought today was going to be the day that his son got the breakthrough that he needed. Peter, James, and John experienced the most exciting encounter of their lives at, at that time. But the nine disciples at the bottom wasn't such a good day. It was a very hard day for them. So some of you guys probably felt that before, both, both ways. You felt the glory of an encounter with God. You're just like, whoa, you just feel his presence so strong in church or in prayer. And then you go into real life and problems come and challenges come and situations come where you don't have the answers for. You don't know the reasons why sometimes. You listen to the concerns and cares or arguments of the scribes, Pharisees, and the world. And it just sometimes you're like, you just don't know. You just don't know. But when Jesus all of a sudden arrives on the scene, Disciples couldn't be happier. Oh, good. He'll know the answer. We don't know why. We know it's God's will, but we don't know why. You know, sometimes we're there too. Sometimes we pray for people who haven't seen the breakthrough that we desire, that I believe God desires. Uh, we know it's His will, but we don't know why it hasn't happened yet. But disciples couldn't be happier. And this desperate father, uh, Jesus says, what are you guys arguing about? You want to know what the argument was about? And before they even had a chance to answer, this desperate father stepped right up to him and said, Hey, listen, I got something to tell you. I'll show you that in verse 15. It said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He is an epileptic and suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. This man had, had his son prayed for at least nine times. Maybe some other ones took a shot at it. Maybe there's more than nine there. Didn't see the results he desired, but he stayed. He stayed. He kept standing. He kept believing. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he could have went home like, come on, son, let's go home. I guess it is God's will. Let's go home. We got a long walk back. Let's go. And, but he didn't. He stood there. He stood in faith, amen? And then Jesus responded, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, 
and the child was cured from that very hour. Imagine that boy's life, that father's life, how much it changed. No more seizures, no more foaming at the mouth, no more falling into fire or falling into the water to be drowned. In one moment, Jesus completely set that boy and his father free. In a moment. Amen. And what did it? It was, it was faith. It was faith. Right? Jesus' faith wasn't corrupted by the opinions of man. It wasn't corrupted by what he saw or didn't see. His faith was in what did Father say? What did Father say do? And uh, I want to show you one thing that uh, this boy healing, it made me think of this, is he got cured. But did Jesus do more than just cure him of epilepsy and these seizures? Did he heal him of anything else? I want to show you this in Luke's version. Just use your imagination here a little bit. But it says, And he was still coming. The demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. Hmm. So he rebuked the demon, then he healed him, then he gave him back to his father. It just made me wonder, what if he did more than just deliver him from the demon? He rebuked the demon, but he says he healed him. What if the burn marks all over his body were healed too? Just like the girl I told you about last week that was at Walmart that had slit her wrist deeply with the, with the razor blade and God had, uh, Matt had prayed for her at Walmart and God totally erased the scars off her arms. What if that's what happened? What if, I don't know if it means that, but what if it does mean that? The burn marks, he gave that boy back a brand new life. Maybe some brand new skin. We saw that in, in uh, Brazil where a lady was burnt in a grease fire, and God gave her back brand new skin. Aaron Tomlin was praying for her. Brand new skin, it felt like baby skin. Even the little sperm marks were not, you could hardly see them. You could see the outline of them, but the next day, you couldn't even hardly tell where they were. All right? We're talking about God here. Amen? He's pretty big. All right? He's pretty strong. So Jesus, when he came on the scene, forever settled this argument. He said, oh, I see what they're arguing about. Bring the boy to me. What did he do? He rebuked the demon. He delivered this boy, and the boy's life was cha- changed, transformed. He was set free. Guys, sometimes we don't know the reason why. We don't know why there's a delay sometimes, but we can read. We can believe what God said, and is God, God's will clearly shown here. If it was ever a chance for Jesus to say, well, you know what? I'm sorry, but this guy, he, he deserves this. His father earned this, or his grandfather did this. Or, uh, he was already praying for these guys. Ah, he deserves it. He's, he, no, he didn't do that. He said, bring him to me, and he healed him. So Jesus didn't establish his faith by what he saw. He established his faith by what God said. And guys, if that's what he did, that's what we need to do too. Our faith will not be exercised or be strengthened by listening to something else other than what did God say. Amen? Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Never once did he say, God made him like this. Never once did he say, like, this was the will of God, or he was trying to teach him a lesson. He said, uh, the devil tried to torment him. It was a demon. He rebuked the demon, and he was, and he was healed. Let's uh, look at a little bit more of this story. Verse 19. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So what were they asking? It's like, hey, we all prayed for him, but nothing happened. Is there something wrong with us? Is something wrong with our faith? What's going on? Do we need more faith? 
And uh, Jesus said, no. He didn't say you needed more faith. He said it was because of their unbelief. He didn't say the demon was too strong. He didn't say the demon was too big. He didn't say that. He said because of your unbelief. And what people sometimes don't understand is you can have faith and you can have unbelief at the same time. The father did in this story. I'll show it to you. The father said it in, uh, let me find the verse here. He, anyway, verse 29 says, or whatever verse is, I'll just quote it to you. He, he said, uh, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Did he find it? Or whatever. Yeah, it's one of those verses in there. You guys have read it before. So he said, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. So he did have faith, or he wouldn't have stayed there all day long. He wouldn't have got all the disciples prayed for him. He, he demonstrated faith, but he still had some unbelief because he experienced his, he was there when his kid fell on the fire. He saw him almost drown. He saw all these things happen to him. He saw that. And in the same way, we can have faith and doubt or unbelief at the same time. And it can be like a fig tree, a mulberry tree, or a mountain, but you have to speak to it to be uprooted, cast out of the sea, so your faith will grow. It's easy to have doubt and unbelief. It's easy. It's natural. It's humanistic faith in the wrong thing. But we're not wanting humanistic faith. We're wanting a supernatural faith that comes from the Son of God and it's faith in what God said. And if you have unbelief in your heart, like you're praying for somebody, and you feel more doubt rising up in you than you do faith, then you need to speak to that unbelief, be uprooted, cast into sea, and it will obey you. Now, I know verse 21 says uh, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. I did some study on that. And most manuscripts, that verse is not even there. Look at the NIV. Uh, well, let's see what other translation I have here. Um, just to tell you right. Um, NIV, come on, there it is. A New Living Translation, Revised Standard Version. They don't even have verse 21 there at all. It was added by some manuscripts. A lot of manuscripts didn't have it. A lot of people think they brought it over from Mark's version, because Mark's version in verse 29 said, so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. But even the word fasting in verse 29 was added in most of the translations. Uh, just to show you just the, how this is uh, divided up, in uh, 58 versions of the Bible I looked at, 58, that's a lot. So uh, 23 versions had fasting and 35 didn't have fasting. They all had prayer. So whether, whether you have to pray and you have to fast or whether it's just prayer, Part of our prayer is declaring and speaking that mountain, be uprooted and casting. And if you are fasting, you're going to be spending more time speaking to that mountain, doubt, unbelief, be uprooted, cast into sea, you must obey me. And faith will naturally grow and be established in your heart. And the tree of faith will grow, the mustard seed of faith will grow, and not doubt and unbelief growing. I'm just trying to tell, tell you and teach you how to walk in the supernatural lifestyle that God designed for you. If we want to walk in the natural, we can do it, no effort. No faith, no effort. It's easy to believe nothing. It's easy to believe in the natural. It's easy to believe for, well, it's just case or sarah, whatever we will be. Or it's be the mouthpiece of God. Be the prophet of God. Speak and declare what he's saying over your life and walk in the things he's calling us to walk in. Amen? And each one of us is going to have to choose. So the father said, Lord, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. And guys, if that's where you are, that's okay. I'd say probably every one of us in here are in that place, including me. Because anytime you come to a new situation, you come to a kid who's got demon issues like this, you come to a situation where this guy's going to die in five minutes if you can't muster up enough faith or whatever to help him, whatever, and you can feel that pressure of life or whatever coming on you, you need to see, 
doubt, unbelief. I speak to you. Be uprooted, cast in the sea. You must obey me. When, you're, when they're coming to you, like in Uganda or other places, and they're, they're, they're dire situations. They're situations that uh, they've just been given up with. Like there's no hope for you. Uh, the, uh, Mary Magdalene, what hope was there for her? Think of all the people Jesus set free. There's, they're not even named. There's a bunch of them listed. But there's a bunch that aren't listed. It says many were healed. Many were delivered and set free. Their lives were touched and transformed and changed. But we have to exercise our faith if you are going to be one of the people to help set people free. You know, Jesus gave them authority. In uh, Luke, let me read this to you. Beginning of Luke, anyway, I'll just quote it. Beginning of Luke, he said, all authority, I give you authority over all demons, over all spirits. Heal the sick and go out and preach the gospel and heal the sick. He gave, it wasn't the demon was too strong for them. Their unbelief was too strong for them. Okay? That was, what, that was this kind of things come out, this kind of unbelief. These come out by prayer and possibly fasting. If God asks you to fast, fast. If he doesn't, then just keep praying about it. But God wants our faith to grow, amen? All right? Now, I'm thinking that many of you stayed up way too late last night because I'm seeing way too many yawns today. And I'm preaching a good message. That's a classic faith message right there. That's a, a hot off the press. Maybe I went too fast. Maybe you need to start all over again. Maybe, oh, don't you start all over? Um, but I'm telling you guys, that you, can, you, can hear, you can hear a message that can tickle your ears. But I'm giving you something that you can put into practice. And I'm telling you, if you practice the word, the word will work for you. The wise man builds his house on the rock. The rock is those who hear the word and do what it says. We've got to speak to it. Amen? Amen? If, he, if Jesus can speak to nothing and create this, do you think he wants us to speak to something, to create something else? Yeah, he wants it to be like God. So um, we're going to, if the elders would come, we're going to prepare the Lord's table. But I want to encourage you guys in this, that's three times that every word be established by two or three witnesses. Three times he told them to speak to something. A fig tree, a mulberry tree, and a mountain. And in our life, whether fear for you is a mountain or a fig tree, mulberry tree, if it's unbelief that's a, a mulberry tree or a mountain in your life, we speak to it and it gets uprooted and then faith can grow. Who doesn't want their faith to grow, amen? So we all do, but we're going to have to put some things into practice. Amen. So, uh, Amen. I hope I'm not getting too fire for you guys, but I've just been telling you, I've been praying in tongues more than I have in a while, at least an hour a day, uh, for a couple weeks now. And I'm not planning on stopping that, um, unless God tells me to. But there's fire burning in me because of the intensity, I believe, in the heart of the Father for his kids. And if, I, if, I stand, if I'm coming across harsh, I don't know how I'm sounding to you. I know how I'm thinking, but I don't know how it's sounding. It's not my intention, but I will tell you, I could tell you this a hundred times. I could tell myself a hundred times, but if we don't do it, what good is it going to do? Are we just coming to church to pay tithes and, and want to be part of a blessed club? Or are we want to part of the kingdom? Amen? Part of the kingdom is we're all disciples. 
We're all doing the works of the gospel. There isn't just one guy or three guys or 12 guys. It's everybody. We're all doing these things. And there's people that are dying and hurting in this world that you have the power to help. But if we sit back on our fear, we sit back on our doubt and unbelief, we sit back on I'm not good enough, smart enough, don't know enough scriptures or whatever, you're not going to help anybody. you barely be able to help yourself. Is that too blunt? I mean, I'm just saying, guys, we're in a season like no other. We've never been here before. But what's on the other side of this mountain is glorious. It's glorious. And I don't, I'm not calling us to hunker down in fear and just wait, wait it out until it's over. Now is the time to rise right now and take our place. We've been asleep. The church has been asleep way too long. Way too long. Because everything's been going good. Everything's been smooth. The church has been free to do whatever we wanted to do. And now we get a little bit of persecution. Just a little bit. And uh, it's waking us up to like, no, this is not right. And we need to fight to keep what we have. Amen. Not just in the church, but for the freedoms we have in America. This nation blesses the nations of the world with food, with uh, missionaries, with protection, with border support and military support. This nation, faults and all, because there's humans involved, there's going to be faults and all, is a glorious prosperous, beautiful nation. Just got some cuckoos that are, are in the way right now. They're going to be moved out. I'm not talking about names. I'm talking about demonic assignments that are trying to corrupt our place. Okay? On the other side of where we are right now, guys, is glory. It's, it's like Holy Spirit takeover. Not just of America, but of the globe. I'm telling, I'm, my, my belief before the, the glorious return of the Lord, whatever that is, I'm not looking out the window for tomorrow. I'm going to march and march and march until he just takes me. I don't need to watch for him. He's watching for me. I mean, I, don't, I just keep going until he, until he takes me out of here, right? We don't have to sit there, is it today? I don't care if it's today. Praise God, I'm supposed to preach. We're supposed to heal. We're supposed to deliver. We're supposed to do what he asks us to do, amen? And he's stirring us up as a body, me up, us up, to do something for Jesus. Do something. And uh, for some of you, it's going to be leaving your house. Some of you might be leaving the country. For some of you, might be going to other nations. We're called to them. This church is called to the nations. This stoppage of travel is only temporary. It's not, it's not permanent. We're still going to be preaching in many nations. A lot of you. I'm going to be preaching in many nations. Patrick Wise got a word a long time ago. He was going to preach in 50 nations. So I don't know. Praise God. Let it happen. Amen. But for us, now is the time to start praying because, one, we want to see the God's kingdom come. We want our, our country to go from glory to glory, not glory to poverty. And uh, it's time for us to pray so that we can wake up. So we'll be changed, not God changed. We'll be wake up so the things of God become important to us. Because clearly it's not important to us. I mean us, but the church. Or things would be different. Amen. Not as important as it needs to be. So, all right. This was very important to Jesus. And he demonstrated with giving his own blood, his body broken for you and for me, to make you sons and daughters of God. Not uh, the redheaded stepchild, not the one that he's embarrassed about, like, oh, uh, no. He is, sorry, sorry, Christy. I had to say it one more time while you're here. (laughs) But anyway. (laughs) But, um, God loves every one of us the same. He loves sinners. He loves the lost. He 
He loves the Democrats. He loves homosexuals. He loves the children of the world. And he came to seek and to save those that are lost and to heal them, set them free, deliver them, like, just like this young boy, so their life may be totally transformed for his glory. And then they, us, can bring many more sons and daughters to heaven to glory with us. Amen. Amen. So we're going to take communion together. Um, these are holy signs and seals of our covenant of grace. You have a covenant with God because of Jesus. Amen. When you go out to minister to somebody, whether it's in Walmart or wherever you go, you are not alone. You are never alone. Jesus in you, on you, all around you. You have a covenant. He will never leave you or forsake you. You're, he's in you. How do you want to pray for this one, Jesus? How do you want to handle this? All right? I don't want this to just to be a story. I want us to do this. Amen? I'm, going to have to, I'm just going to have to take a team, and we're just going to have to go somewhere one night. Let's take the whole church, and we'll just go. Well, I guess Walmart's open. We can go to Walmart. No, no population limit in there. And uh, we're going to just minister to people, pray for them, bless them, prophesy over them, wake them up spiritually. Amen? Amen. I got a couple saying yes. All right. Well, let's, let's pray and, and uh, take the Lord's Supper. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus. I don't know where this world would be. Probably wouldn't even be here at all if you didn't send Jesus when you did. I thank you for taking on yourself all of my sickness, all of my disease and pain, my sorrow, my grief, my sin, generational sin. You bore everything on yourself that you could be in us, that we could be in you, and we could be a family. God, I thank you for our family. Thank you that we now have the right to call you Abba, Father. Thank you, Jesus. God, right now we just set these elements, these symbols aside from common use to holy use for your glory. I pray, Lord, as we take these things in faith, your revelation truth will be quickened in us. Will be quickened in us of who we are in Christ, what you did pay for for our body, how serious you are about these things, what you really did do to sin, what you, how you took care of it, and how it's totally paid for. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you guys to come forward and receive the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask you to hold on to it and bring it back to your seat, and we'll take it together as a family.
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that paid for your peace was upon him, and by his stripes you've been healed. Take and eat in Jesus' name. And after supper, he took the cup, said, this is the cup of the new covenant, established in my blood, not in wine or drink, but in his blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And though your sins were like scarlet, now they've been made white as snow. Hallelujah. I think we need to end with a song. Anyone got a song in mind? You got a good idea with Ron Mark? Marshall? You got one? Okay, come on up. We'll think of something. It could be a hymn. It could be anything. Chorus, whatever. We'll think of something. We're going to end with a song today. And then, of course, we're going to hug and love on John and Christy as they're parting from us. had this song going in my head this morning too that anything is possible it's show me one thing he can't do show me a mountain he can't move he's the God of your breakthrough even when you sing it you can say he's the God of my breakthrough and everything is possible amen so I'm excited to see uh, more fruit in our lives amen that we can speak to a, a mountain the fig tree and the mulberry tree to be uprooted and it will go amen amen will you guys please stand
Thank you, Jesus. Let me close this up in prayer. God, I thank you that you are the God of my breakthrough, our breakthrough, and everything is possible for those who believe. So God, let us remember today, let's remember to practice what we heard, practice what you have in in the word, to speak to the mountain of doubt and unbelief or fear, to get out of our way in Jesus' name. We are children of God. We can look and act like our Father. I just bless your children today. I thank you for each one. I thank you for John and Christy. I bless them. I pray for safe travels for them as they go. We will definitely miss them, but like John said, this is not the end. It's just to see you later. We know they'll be back, and uh, we love them, and we bless them. God, I pray for other members of our body that are not here today. Just bless them, strengthen them, empower them. I pray, Lord, you would give us each one a clear call to ministry of what you're asking us to do. Marching orders. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you. God loves you. You are dismissed. God bless you.